Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Wow. Welcome. And so many of you guys out there, and there's only one of me. I feel really outnumbered. It's not fair. Can a few of you come up here and join me? No. So my name is John. I want to tell you a little bit about myself before we get started. Um, I'm you know, 20-ish years old. Can you believe that? Okay. So, no, I'm quite the old man. So I've been working here at River Valley Ranch for 19 years now, and I've seen a lot of changes, seen a lot of new people come on board, and I'm really excited that I get to experience this with you so that you guys get to come to River Valley Ranch, the place where I call work. It's actually the place where I call home as well, and I get to have you guys here. So this is like a big party coming to my house. So I'm really excited about that. But before I did that, I also taught in Baltimore area for about 10 years. I was a math and science teacher there. And so, math and science? I heard a yeah. Who's that? Okay, good. All right, thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, that's what I did. And like I said, I've been here. I actually have a, a, a family. My wife is not here. My kids are not here. They're probably up at our house just hanging out. But I've got five kids ranging from the age of 11 to 20. 11 to 20. So my oldest is a sophomore in college. My daughter, Abby, she's 17, soon to be 18. She's a senior in high school. Then I've got a sophomore, and I'll be using him as an example later on in my talk, my sophomore. Uh, uh, he's the, 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 the middle child. Any middle children here? Okay. So you know it's like you're not the oldest, you're not the youngest. You just kind of like fade in there somewhere. No, you're, you're very important. Um, and then I've got uh, uh, one in middle school and one in elementary school. So that's kind of my story. And um, I want to get to know you guys a little bit, but I want to make this somewhat interactive. So you're kind of sitting down and I want to show you a picture. Anybody ever gone through one of these things here? Corn maze? This is a corn maze taken from one in Denver the year after they won the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, corn maze. So these things are awesome to see. I wonder how they get it so intricate, and I thought about that. So I thought I'd pose the question to you guys, okay? Um, if you've never been to a corn maze, it's where it's like set five acres, six acres, seven acres, and you pay a lot of money to have an anxiety attack, okay? At least as a parent, where's my kid? I can't find my kid. And then you got somebody saying, don't cut through the corn. And I'm like, but my kid's lost. And the kids are like, where's my parents? But anyway, so here's a corn maze. I want to ask you guys this question. How in the world do you think they made such an intricate design in a seven acre corn maze? I'm going to give you 30 seconds to talk to the people around you, maybe a minute to see if you can figure out how in the world they were able to cut the shape of those football players, write Super Bowl champions, and write the name of their family farm in that. All right, so go ahead. See if you can figure it out. How did they do it? You got it figured out? You got it figured out? How did they make this corn maze? How did they make this corn maze? What did they do? GPS guided plows. 
GPS guided plows, not bad. How did they do this? So they used lawnmowers to cut it, to cut what it would, to cut the design out. Oh, see, when I originally did, you're, you're, you're doing pretty good. GPS, I don't know if my Garmin or my GPS on my phone, my Waze, would help me actually make this. I don't know how they do that. But I originally thought maybe they planted it in this design and shape. But you are right. They actually plant the whole field, and then they walk through, and they cut it down, the parts that they want to be the paths. But they got to cut it down at the right amount. See, I actually have a little experience doing this. Okay, because we used to have a corn maze here at RVR. Can you see it? This was one of our first ones. You know, it's got the RVR, it's got the horse bed. I don't know if you can see it. It's got kind of a part of our camp, our fort. And I wanted to get an aerial picture of this. And this is way before they had drones. So I had to rent a helicopter to get up this picture. That was pretty cool. I got to rent a helicopter for my work. All right, it was up in Lancaster, and I flew down here, and then we landed up on the field up there. He took off the doors, and he said, let's try and get a picture. And I said, I'm a little afraid of heights. I don't know that I can do this. And he's like, oh, you're fine. He goes, just take your, 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 your belt and loop it through the seat belt, because when we get up there, I'll tilt the helicopter a little bit like this, and I don't want you sliding out. Yeah, I know. I'm a little bit afraid of heights. So we get in this helicopter. We do that. He kind of tilts it. I couldn't get a great picture. So I actually had to lean outside the helicopter a little bit. I was freaking out. But I got the picture of this corn maze. But I actually got to find out how we made this corn maze. And like I said, I've got a little experience. Is you do plant the whole field. You do go ahead and you use a GPS, but you have to actually put those points in there. There is no GPS that looks like this, and you can follow the lines. So you guys are great. This is how we made the corn maze, but I had no idea until I dove into it. So now you guys know a little bit about corn mazes. Way to go. All right, next question here is, I want you to talk in your group because what I want to do here is get deep this weekend. I don't really want to talk about corn mazes. I want for us to swim in the deep end of the pool and talk about things maybe we don't normally talk about. I don't know what you talk about at school. I'm hoping it's a lot of academics. I'm hoping it's a lot about math or science or English. But I'm sure there's times when you talk about other things. What do you fill in those gaps with? I know if you plan a sports team, you probably talk a lot about your team, maybe a lot about the chemistry, maybe about some of the plays you want to run, but what do you fill in the gaps with? What are we talking about in, 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 in kind of our small talk, if you will? I want us here this weekend to talk about things that really matter. One of those things that really matters is you and the way that you guys live your lives. So I asked you a question about something complicated, designing and building a corn maze, but let's look at something a little bit more complicated than that and a little bit more intricate than that, is how do you live a good life? How do you have that? What does that mean to you when you see this, a better life? What are you working so hard for right now to achieve one day? Or have you even thought about that? Are we just going day to day that we don't have a goal for what we want to be? who we want to become. And I want you guys now maybe just to share with the person next to you, what does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to have a good life? What does it mean to be a good person? Go ahead and have that conversation real quick.
Right, we're talking about the meaning of life. What a deep question for us to start off this weekend. John, why are you doing this to us? All right, how, ready? How do you live a good life? Anybody got an idea? You can raise your hand. How do you live a good life? Devote your life to the Lord and help other people find the Lord. Wow. We went in the deep end right away. All your uh, leaders back there writing your name down like, okay, good answer. Let me do that. Okay. Anybody else? How do you live a good life? How do you live a good life? Remember, remember to be empathetic and always be kind. Empathetic. A great SAT word, by the way, if you know what SATs are yet. Do we know? Okay, we do. Okay. Great. We got older brothers and sisters. Be empathetic. That means being close and caring and understanding other people and who they are. That this life is about relationships. All right? We're about relationships. And to be empathetic and understand other people. Anybody else got one more, two more? Anybody else? How do you live a good life? Good life. I think I already called on you, right? Let's get somebody else. How do you live a good life? Come on. Right back here. He's got his hand up, and he's pointing to himself. I love it. All right, so you just worship the Lord and make sure that you're around people that you love and know and that you help others to know God as well. Wow. Way to go, living word leaders, by the way. Okay, great answers there. All right, now, I'll be honest with you. I hang around a lot of people kind of my age, older people, and we kind of talk about some of these sometimes as well. People that were just like you, maybe grew up in the church or came to the church later. And maybe they look at life a little bit differently than you do. Because I remember it coming up over and over and over again. What does it mean to live a good life? What are you hoping to achieve? Why are we working so hard to do the things that we do? And a lot of this word came up in a group of grown men raising families, working so hard day in and day out. And they would say, John, I don't want to be rich. I just want to be comfortable. And when I thought about that statement, man, I like to be comfortable. I like things to be easy as well. You know, I want to be comfortable. But the Lord never calls us to a life of comfort. Sometimes he calls us to a life of sacrifice, and that's very much uncomfortable. But if you were to ask a lot of people that maybe didn't answer in this room, or maybe that are a little bit older, or maybe that are in college, that same question, they wouldn't have answers maybe as deep or as powerful as you guys just did. Because we live in a world that loves comfort. I don't know if you've heard of statements like, live the American dream. What does that mean? Living the American dream doesn't mean to be empathetic. Living the American dream doesn't mean to, to tell others about the Lord. Living the American dream doesn't mean to read your Bible and obey the Lord. What does it mean? A lot of people do that, understanding what that is. They want to be comfortable. They don't want to worry about money, finances. They want to have a house, a car, etc. That is their ultimate goal, that I don't have to worry. I can live stress-free. That's why there's people that work 50 weeks really hard in the year just to take two weeks of vacation. That's why people work really hard to save up to buy a house to put their stuff in that makes it real comfortable, whether it's a big TV or a nice sectional or a nice couch or to drive a nice car that has the GPS in it. We're working really hard for some of these things so we can make our life more comfortable. The problem is, in life, is uh, it's moving too fast. Life is moving too fast. 
You can't keep up. And as soon as you learn to play by their roles, their rules, the rules end up changing. So, you know, I'm not that much older than you guys. We've already established that, right? So back when I was about 10 years old, 10 or 11 years old, we had this sweet piece of technology in my house. Okay, sweet piece of technology. You know what this is, right? Okay. Doesn't look much like that phone, but this was the phone that we had when I was a kid. All right? Uh, and it was a landline. There was no digital. There was no, um, you know, Wi-Fi, internet or anything like that. And so I actually found kids your age, stick with me, I won't be long, okay? All right, found, found a video of kids, not much older than you guys, trying to deal with the sweet piece of technology here. Check this out. To dial that phone number. That's it? That's it. With that phone. Wait, so you have to push uh, it. Right? Kyle, move your butt over. I don't want your butt I, in the video. Fingers look, 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 there you go. Look. It's all the way from here. Yeah. Seven. Oh, no, zero's all the way over. Oh. How about restart? Every other way of doing it is incorrect. What's with all the holes, though? It's a great oh. question. <laughs> we are so dumb. No, you're not. You no, nailed Kyle it. I just figured it out. 30, uh, 25 seconds. Tell me the numbers. Four minutes to try to dial a phone number on an old school phone that many of us adults could probably do in 10 seconds, right? Okay, so we're familiar with that. Also, we had a sweet piece of technology for listening to music. I don't even know if they make these things anymore because all you got is your they, they, they boom box, okay? All right? Um, and where, where's Jay? Is Jay here? Is Jay in the room? There's Jay. Jay's a cool guy, right? Okay. So Jay and I kind of, I connected with Jay earlier this week and said, Jay, we're talking about technology and how fast the world changes. Can you send me a picture of your first vehicle? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think I have a picture of. So he sent me a picture of his first vehicle, and it looks something like this. All right? So Jay's a little bit older than I am, if you believe that. Um, I know he, he carries his age well. Uh, but adults, before you, I think uh, we let you off the hook, all right? Because when the smartphone came out just in 2007, just in 2007, it's a little over a 10, it's 12 years old. But it had, the smartphone has changed how we do life now, not only in the United States, but also in the world. And people, are, you know, late adopters like us in our old age trying to do it, um, here's some funny mom text, okay? I don't know if you've seen any of these, you know? A daughter texting her mom, Mom, you finally got a new phone. You have a smartphone. Great. Mom, Mom, why aren't you answering? How do you do a space? I'm really confused. Or also, Mom asking her daughter, how in the world, what do all these abbreviations mean? What does it mean, IDK, LY, TTYL? And the daughter responds, I don't know. Love you. Talk to you later. And the mom goes, okay, I'll just ask your sister. <laughs> How? Not getting what those things meant. But take a moment. I know those were kind of little, little funny inje uh, injections there. 
But um, what does it really mean to live a better life for us? We want to talk about that this week because we care about you. Your leaders care about you. That this is a great environment to be together and having fun and riding zip lines to give you a great experience. That's part of a better life. But it doesn't stop at this experience. It goes on and on and on. You know, oftentimes I hear people talking about living life in, the, you know, in America. And we want to go back and reflect, what is it that we're striving so good for? Our country is kind of torn right now. If you watch news, and I don't know at your age if you do, or if you talk about it in school, some of the problems that are going on. There was a vote just today in the Senate, and people are all worried about it and upset about it and trying to figure it out. But this is the very world that you live in, and we want to make sure you can understand what it means to navigate your way through it. If you look at the history of the United States and who we are and where we come from, our country was built with this idea of freedoms and capitalism in mind. And that's why there's so many mantras and sayings that say, let's just go for it. You can have it all. If you work hard enough, you can achieve it. Live the American dream and there's rags to riches. That comfort is something that we're striving for. But is that really the end game for you? I don't know why you're working hard in school. You have to answer that question for yourself. I don't know what occupation you think you might want to have as you get older. That's something you have to answer for yourself. But at the end of the day, is that what really matters? There was a guy that lived uh, uh, a while ago. I mean, he died recently within probably your lifetime. His name was Johnny Cash. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Johnny Cash? If not, I know your parents did. But this was a guy that was living the American dream. This was a guy that went from rags to riches. There's a guy that was born in, 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 in a humble, rural, poverty-stricken South. And because of his talent, he went from rags to riches. He had platinum record after platinum record after platinum record. He lived a great life. He lived a long life. He lived the American dream. And at the end of his life, as he got older and was reflecting on what it meant to live a better life, he produced this video, this music video, and I'd like to show it to you guys. I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the I will 
stay the hell away from me, you hear? I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair full of broken thoughts I cannot repair beneath the stains of time the feelings disappear you are someone else I am still right here what have I become my sweetest friend Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all. My empire of dirt. I will let you down. What is this song about? What is this song is about? A guy that had it all. He had an empire. He had museums and buildings named after him. He had people wanting to build trophies of him or statues of him. He had it all. And if you listen to the words of the song, you say, man, you can have it all. This whole empire that I have, that I've worked so hard for, it's really an empire of dirt because it all goes away. It's all actually meaningless. And people go away too. And as he's reflecting on his life, saying, if only I had done things that mattered more rather than got me more. And it's a deep reflection. It's a question we all have to ask ourselves, even as 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, is if we have the right destination that we want to get to, we might actually do. But if we listen to the rules that everyone else is saying, you need to do this, you need to be this, you have to be comfortable, you need to do these things because that's what life is about, living the American dream. He lived the American dream. And as he looks back, he says, the American dream is empty. It's gone. There's something that matters a little bit more. It's not found in possessions or achievement or status or even likes on Facebook or social media, that real life is found and real answers are found in this book, as we heard some of you actually say that. I don't know what you believe about this book. All right, I could walk around with the microphone and I think some of you could say, I think this book is really powerful. I think this book is really meaningful. I think this book right here, the Bible, is God's word. I think it has the power to change lives. But then I can also ask the question, how often do you read it? How often do you spend time trying to understand it? And you might say, if you think it's so important and we spend so little time with it, is that really a good indication that we really think it's that important? You know, if we're spending more time doing so, other, so many other things, 
on a scale of 1 to 10, how important is this book to you? And you can answer that question as a rhetorical question. So as Elijah explained to us, this weekend we're going to be trying to unpack this statement. What does it mean to be beauty from ashes? And we're not going to look at the culture. We're not going to look at TV. We're going to look at God's word to hopefully understand this. And it's actually, this phrase is actually found in a passage of the Bible long way in the Old Testament. I know it's part of the, 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 the Bible we probably don't read very often if we read our Bible. But it comes from a, the book of Isaiah. Okay? So I'm going to read it out loud. You can kind of follow along quietly here as I'm reading it, all right? But I want to ask you some questions about what do we understand about this as we try to figure this out a little bit more. It says here, Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 4, 1 to 4 The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and a release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for display of his splendor. There's a lot of tough things to understand. I, don't, I mean, I would probably have to read this a couple of times and dig into a little bit more. But let me ask you, who is saying these statements? Who is saying these statements? Raise your hand if you think you got it. Who's saying this? Anybody? Isaiah. That would make sense because it's found in the book of Isaiah and he's writing it, but it's not. This is actually called a prophecy, okay? This is a prophecy that Isaiah is saying and kind of stepping in and saying, this is what this person is going to say. This is who is going to be saying it. This passage is actually about Jesus. See, Jesus just didn't come in the scene in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, all right? That wasn't he was kind of around forever. And this guy, Isaiah, says, there's going to be somebody coming on the scene, and he is going to say this. That's why it's in quotes, okay? He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is Jesus talking because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news. Well, there's a lot in that, and we can't understand it all in one evening. Maybe we can't even understand it all in one weekend, but it does bring questions. And there's one part that I want to look in here as we kind of close tonight. Sovereign Lord. This is the first statement Jesus is saying as the prophet Isaiah is quoting. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Does anybody know what that means? Because I have questions when I see that. What does it mean, sovereign Lord? Anybody idea have a definition? I know another SAT word like empathy. What does sovereign mean? Holy or along those lines, great, because it's describing God, and we know God's holy. Not quite, you're on the right track. What does sovereign mean? In the back. Go ahead. In control. Excellent. That is actually a good definition, but it goes more than that. It means supreme ruler or ultimate power, if you look it up in the dictionary. That God is sovereign. If God is the ultimate power the supreme ruler, that he can do anything he wants. These are things, these aren't new concepts to us, are we? We've probably heard these in church a million times. 
But then it begs the question, if God is so powerful and if he's so in control and he's the supreme ruler, then why are there so many bad things happening in the world we live in? If God is good and loves us and God can stop the pain or the hurt, why doesn't he? What in the world is going on? Why, if you turn on the news, do you hear about a civil war in Syria that has claimed 560,000 lives, over half a million in just the last four years? Why is it that this civil war in Syria has displaced 13 million people as refugees that have had to abandon their homes, leave with their families, and run for their lives? This is happening right now in our world. Why are there riots in a place called Myanmar? where police are lining up and people are saying, think of us, we need food, we need shelter, we need the government to protect us, and the government is coming and attacking them. That's happening right now in our world. And you might say, John, that's the world, that's out there, that's not the USA. You know, we're a little bit insulated from understanding some of that stuff. We don't experience it, we don't see it, we don't even feel it, we don't have that empathy because we're not right there. But let's go a little closer to home. You know, if you're following the news or if you talked about it in school, you heard about the fires that destroyed a good part of California, killed many people. We're not as insulated as we think we might be. Or the flooding that has happened in the South. You know, like, oh, that's still far away. That's not central PA. That's not York. All right. That's not close to home. It's not people our age. But then you can think about what happened in Lakeland, Florida last year right? And the situation that happened there, that still seems pretty far away. Maybe we could go a little bit closer to home. The city of Baltimore, maybe some of you have either taken field trips there, or you have family that lives close there, or you want to visit it because it's got a cool little inner harbor, okay, or Fells Point, or the south. But Baltimore is named for the third year in a row the most dangerous city in the United States. I have firsthand experience with the city of Baltimore, we had an opportunity to do a camp, many camps in there. And this is the world that's right around the corner. If we would just open our eyes a little bit. And then it begs the question, God, where are you if you are in control? What is happening to the people in other countries or on the other side of our country or in our city real close to us? As this is a neighborhood that we got to do a camp in. It's a camp that has kids your age. We had kids coming to camp ages, I guess, uh, 6 to 11 years old. Some of you would overlap. Some of you are older. The neighborhood was pretty run down. When we had to run camp, we had to walk through and pick up syringes and bottles so the kids wouldn't get pricked with maybe HIV-positive needles from all the drug dealers and the drug addicts that were around in the neighborhood. This was the very thing they lived in. And the reason drug addicts and, 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 and drugs were so there, right here in Baltimore City, not a third world country, all right, right here in Baltimore City, is because the sex trafficking trade was so prevalent right there in that community as well. And this is right outside where we had camp. Kids would walk by, and we had to clean up and protect them to run a camp. But then we got to do this camp. We got to see kids come alive and experience real joy, something that we might take for granted sometimes, living in our worlds and with our families and our homes. And there's a cool story, all right, about this little kid named Ray 
That's my daughter in the picture. She got to be a counselor with me as we traveled from neighborhood to neighborhood in Baltimore City. And this kid, Ray, took a liking to my daughter, you know, and, it, and, and after a while, I got to understand why. You know, at one point during the week, we would provide them with a meal. And she saw Ray taking a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and taking, eating half of it and taking the other half and sticking it in his pocket. And she said, Ray, what are you doing? Why are you sticking the, the, the sandwich in your pocket? This peanut butter and jelly is going to get all nasty. He goes, well, it's so I can have something to eat later tonight. Only then did we find out, after digging into it a little bit more, and my daughter was on it because she made sure she packed him several sandwiches every night because he would go home to a mom that was unfortunately addicted to meth down there in the city and would sometimes forget to buy him food, forget to cook him dinner, or use the money that was meant for groceries on herself and feeding her habit sometimes by, by making money, by turning tricks. This is a little boy, seven years old, living in Baltimore City. And if anybody could cry out, God, where are you? Why is this happening? Not in a foreign country, right here in our country. Fortunately for Ray, we went down to try to visit him not too long after camp, and he had been taken out of the home and put in a place where he does have meals provided. Because I told you, I have five kids. I have five beautiful kids. I love them to death. And they worry a lot about meals. They worry about what they're going to eat. Is, are they going to like what they eat? When are they going to have it? But they've never had to worry about if they were going to eat. And that's his reality. And as we got to connect with the social worker there, it was nice that he would spend sleeping in the closet so he didn't have to see or hear what was happening out there in, in the living room or in, in, in the bedroom. We live in a broken, messed up world. And you might say, that's, that's a little bit too far, John. It's a little bit too much. You know, we're talking about sleeping deep. We don't experience that. We don't see that. But I guarantee you, if you look, it's there. Because brokenness takes many shapes and forms of bullying, of racism, of hurt. And those are things maybe you have experienced. See, it's easy sometimes we're surrounded by fun and people that love us and a safety and a great camp eating good food that we can say, God is in control. I get it. But when we're hungry, we're tired, we're addicted, we're hurt, sometimes it's easy to say, God, where are you? And we have so many questions. And I'll end with this. I think I know why. Because it's not anything God did. It's something we did. And the answer is found in a passage of Scripture here in Romans. And hopefully, I know we're thinking a lot. We're challenging it a lot. We're not talking about easy stuff. But in Romans 1, 28 to 32, I'll read the whole thing, and then I'll, just, I'll, I'll close it up with that. He goes, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. To do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And it says people also cheered on as people were doing these things. You see, what this writer in, in the Bible is talking about is God didn't go away. People left. People wanted to turn to their own things. It's as if I'm walking down a path with one of you guys, and I know the path very well, and we want to stay on the good path. And you say, hey, John, what's down that path? I'm like, oh, don't go down there. That's very dangerous. But, John, I really want to go down there. Don't go down there. You'll get hurt. 
If you go down that path, you're going to get hurt. You're going to step on something. Something's going to fall. You're going to get hurt. Don't go down there. It's dangerous. Stay on the good path with me. But John, I really want to go down there and explore. I'm really curious. No, let me put up a few warning signs for you. Dangerous. Maybe let me put up a few roadblocks for you to prohibit you from going down there. But you choose to go down there. And then when you go down there and you get hurt, you look at me and say, John, why did you do that to me? That's exactly what Paul's saying. I didn't do it. You chose to go down there. And that's what people did. As you look at this list, as people were walking with God at one point, and they wanted to experience other things, they wanted to experiment, and they did all kinds of crazy things, and God's saying, no, don't do those things. You're only going to cause pain and hurt in this very world that you live in. That's not what I designed you to do. And he put up some signs like the Ten Commandments that said, don't do these things because they're not healthy. He put up some barriers to prohibit them from doing some of those crazy things, and they still went through. And God was there, and he said, please, don't leave. You're going to go down a path that's going to cause problems in this world. And at one point, they said, God, we're just going to ignore you. And God spoke even louder. They said, God, we're just going to forget you exist. And God spoke even louder. They said, God, we're going to curse you. And at one point, God said, I'm going to turn you over to what you want. You want it so bad. Then here it is. And it says, and as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. You see, the reason there's problems in this world is not because God forgot us. We forgot him. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's because people cursed him. And he let those things come in this world and people experience it. And the people are cheering it on. And it says there, those who practice such things are worthy of death and not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those people that practice it. There's people that are cheering on when people hurt other people. There's people that are cheering in on and excited about when people entrap other people because it's for them and not for others. So we're talking about some deep things. We're talking about this beauty from ashes. And if you can imagine that and stick with me, I think we can go pretty deep. And I think you're capable of understanding some of these things because they're in the world you live in. They're right here. They're not foreign. And we have to understand how to deal with it and what is God's plan for you in this whole thing to go from beauty from ashes to be not somebody that goes along and just doesn't care but actually is moved and wants to make a change and cares for him. So with that, I'll turn it back over to Elijah after I pray. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for these students and what we got to talk about and learn. And Lord, I pray that they're right with me, that this is deep stuff, this beauty from ashes, that you are sovereign. You didn't give up on us. Lord, we as people gave up on you. Thank you for this word in Isaiah. I pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.